morning. Just to tag on to what Walt said, um, we just really love and appreciate the um, all of the pastors on staff here. Uh, when you think about it, they're highly competent individuals. They could be working a lot of places um, in the marketplace, making a lot more money, and um, and they're here because they love God and because they uh, love the mission of glad tidings. And so I think that's pretty amazing for them to be living out their values like we all need to do in our lives, right? And, yeah, and also just to say, you know, over these years, we've because we've been blessed by having, you know, really consistent um, supports um, pastors here over the last several years, it's been just a real privilege uh, by and our family specifically to get, get to know everyone and to call them friends. And I can honestly say that um, probably my closest friends in Omaha are other people that are the, on staff with us. And we love you guys so much. So thank you. All right. So anyway, so we're in the book of Luke. Wall's done a great job the last couple of weeks of doing some introductory message on, on the book of Luke. I highly recommend you listen to him online if you haven't heard them. They'll keep your attention. They're very interesting. They're very foundational. You will have some new information in there, and it will really help build on what we're going to be going through as we study the book of Luke together. Uh, Last week, we talked about when God breaks the silence. The week before, we talked about basically good news is when something happens, and then that means that everything changes. So this week, we're going to move on to the next section, and this is what that section says. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. Somebody say virgin. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Somebody say you. Next verse. Confused and disturbed. And just to point out briefly um, that Mary could not have been stupid because anybody that has an angel appear to them like that out of the clear blue sky should be confused and disturbed. So we know that everything's good with Mary's head. And she says, Mary tried to think about what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Next verse. You will conceive and you, let me add that word, you will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. Once more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. We know from last week that she was keeping it a secret, right? That she was pregnant for the word of God will never fail. Last verse, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me 
come true. And the angel of the Lord left her. And a lot of, you know, um, religions and stuff that like um, make Mary a saint and stuff like that. It's because of this verse, because it's so profound that she said that after that information that I'm the Lord's servant. Um, I'm willing to do whatever you want. So there's a lot here in this passage. I'm not going to be able to cover everything. Some of this stuff about the theology of Jesus being the Messiah and all that is going to come up in um, upcoming passages. And Walt's going to hit on some of those. So I'm going to only hit on a few things about this passage because you guys know it just takes me a long time to explain things, right? And so we don't have Christmases in three weeks and you need to get out of here, right? All right. So anyway, but there are basically a few essential things in, in, um, the Bible or in the Christian theology that are extremely crucial. Now, there are lots of things that are really important in Christian theology, but for the sake of the sermon today, I'm going to boil it down to four things that I think are the most crucial components of Christian theology. And without them, everything goes to dust. The first thing is over here, and the, the tape on the, on the ground is going to illustrate this. The first thing is right here, and it's creation. It's creation, that God created heaven and earth out of nothing, and that, he, that there's intelligent design. And basically, if you um, are going to believe Christianity, you have to believe in intelligent design, that there's a bigger, greater God, and that he created it all. Now, we can do all sorts of apologetics on this. You can listen to a bunch of podcasts, read a bunch of books by really smart people, and take a philosophy class in college and all that kind of stuff. But the ultimate thing is, is there's a lot of stuff that can be proven with this and that and these verses in the Bible or whatever. But the bottom line is this does require a certain amount of faith as all four of these things do. At some point, you just have to say, I believe it. It makes sense to me. The Bible says it and I believe it to be true. Well, that's this, right? So this is creation. Then you have 4,000 years taking place leading up to when Walt started preaching about the book of Luke. And this is the start of the book of Luke, okay? So this is 4,000 years and this is 4,000 years of craziness, right? I mean, you got wars, you got prostitution, you got kings, you got temples, you got slavery. I mean, it's like like a brave heart and gladiator and roots and um, uh, saving private Ryan and uh, and inception all at the same time, right? Except that it's all true, you know, but it's kind of like, it is kind of like a Christopher Nolan movie in the sense of that there's all these things happening and it's very confusing. And was that a dream or was that not a dream? You know, and I don't know. And, and, you know, it's all coming together. And even at the end, you're kind of like, I still don't know. You know what I mean? And that's sometimes the way this is for all of us, I think. And that's why Bible scholars and people that are rereading the Bible, rereading the Bible, it's like watching Inception on DVD a bunch of times. And every time you watch it, you pick up something else. You pick up something else. You pick up something else because you're watching it again and again. That's the way the Bible is in the Old Testament, especially because it's not a non, you know, uh, based on a true story, 90 minute movie from Ron Howard, you know, um, it's a little more confusing than that. You can really study this a lot. 
Anyway, so in here are all these promises about the Messiah, right? Now, keep in mind, over 4,000 years, that's a lot of years, you know? And there's these promises. Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus is going to be, or the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. And there's going to be a precursor or a forerunner to the Messiah. And um, people are going to crucify him and kill him. And he's going to be hated and all of these things. And there's all these prophecies interwoven through the whole Testament over all this time about what's going to happen. But when you think about it, when you get to these verses in Luke, how is Mary know She's in the middle of a Christopher Nolan movie. How does she know? Holy moly. This is it. Right? And we know she's not stupid. So anyway, so all of this stuff is happening and it brings it to this incredibly crucial passage for Christian theology throughout all mankind. And this passage is right here. The second thing is that Jesus is the son of God. If Jesus is not the son of God, all of this goes to pot. Jesus has to be the son of God. Because if he isn't, then it's like, not so even other religions, even Islam, believe that Jesus was a prophet, Jesus was lived, you know, and there's lots of proof that he lived on the earth and did things, even did miracles and stuff like that. Believe They believe that, but they do not believe that Jesus is a, the son of God. Now, if you don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, None of this will make sense in terms of your Christian journey, your Christian theology, salvation, nothing. So this passage with Mary and the angel coming and saying, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and is going to make you pregnant and you're going to give birth to this guy and he's going to be Jesus and the son of the most high and all those things that he said, um, that if that were not true, if that did not happen, then everything would be different. Every other thing would be different. So basically, you have 4,000 years of all these vague prophecies and strange things in human history happening where you don't know who are the winners and who are the losers and who are really God's favorite people and who aren't because it's very difficult to tell because bad things are happening and all that kind of stuff. And it's all converging onto this 12-year-old girl that's poor that is engaged but hasn't had sex and listening to a three-minute conversation with an angel she's never met and her saying, okay, all of this converges on these verses that we just read. Is anyone in here 12 years old? Do we have any 12-year-old females in here? Where? Okay, a 12-year-old female up there? Just raise your hand really big. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you, I promise. Well, okay, she's going low-key. All right, so you have a 12-year-old girl that says, yes, Lord. And the way it happens is that the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, the Holy Spirit is coming up before the book of Acts. So we know the Holy Spirit was around before the book of Acts. Somebody say, wow. The Holy Spirit came on you. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed you. That means Mary was a person and the Holy Spirit came on her and there was a natural and there was a supernatural component of this visitation. The natural component was she gets pregnant. She goes through gestation of having the baby, 
for nine months. Her stomach gets big. She gives birth. And not only that, um, and she tells the, that his name is Jesus because that's what the angel said to do. And not only that, she then lives through 33 years of people thinking that she had an illegitimate child. Because how many know after all of this, you have this poor 12-year-old girl do you think if she says, I, you know, I, this was an immaculate conception, I'm giving birth to the Messiah, how many of you would believe that? Come on. So she has this one visitation, three-minute conversation. She's 12 years old. The Holy Spirit comes on her, makes her pregnant even though she hasn't had sex, and then she gives birth to a child that becomes the most controversial crucial, pivotal person in the history of mankind. And that's saying something because we know what it's like to have um, controversial leaders. And, and, but Jesus was even more controversial. Yeah. And she had to be the mother of that and watch all that happen while people thought that she was, uh, had an illegitimate child and goes through until Jesus dies, is raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. She walks through and finally, finally people say, wow, something must have happened to Mary. That three sentence or three minute conversation changed the course of the entire life of a 12 year old girl who had all of human history's timeline resting on her shoulders. Somebody say, wow. And it doesn't say the Holy Spirit changed Mary's temperament. The Holy Spirit made uh, Mary a strong person. The Holy Spirit changed mentalness. The Holy Spirit made her rich. The Holy Spirit... No, it did not. What did it say? It said the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. It took Mary, who she was, right? Who she was as a person did not change. But the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, enabling her to have a physical childbirth uh, result as well as a spiritual result, having a baby that was not of, of human seed of any human volition, um, of a male in her body, a supernatural, um, event and experience and the Holy spirit, I believe overshadowing her through these 33 years, which by the way, are the book is the book of Luke, which we're going to be studying, which is super cool because this is like watching hidden figures. You know, the girls are born. They're really smart when they're born and then they go to school and then they get a job and then they like save the astronauts, you know, and real straightforward. That's the way Luke is. It tells a story, a timeline story that's straightforward like that. That's why it's easier to understand. But it's really important because this is the whole crucial time starting with Jesus is the son of God thing, right? Are you following me? By the way, I wrote all these notes starting with last service. I completely disregarded all of them. And it's appearing as if the same thing's going to happen. So we'll just have to trust that the Holy Spirit will overshadow me and give you what you need. Okay, so anyway... Um, so here is the third, uh, you know, doctrine that's super crucial. And that's that Jesus died, rose from the grave and ascended into heaven because this is the crux of salvation. 
You have to believe that Jesus died. The son of God, Jesus was the son of God. He died, he was buried, he rose again, and he went to heaven. That's the third crucial thing. It's the same as creation. It's the same as the son of God. And it's the same for this, that there's a certain amount of investigation and understanding that can be pretty compelling. But at its core, it requires an amount of faith. You just have to believe it. You just have to believe it. When I was in college, I went through this thing where I was trying to like understand everything. I'd grown up in the church and I wanted to like really understand that it was true and make believe it for myself and, you know, not go based on the way I was raised. And I really tried to do that. And I remember at one point, this guy that I respected said to me, he said, Carrie, it's great that you're doing that. But at some point, you're just going to have to believe. And that was the best advice. And I decided, you know what? I do. I do believe. I believe that's true. And I'm going to walk in that. Okay, so anyway, so this now this is then the book of Acts, right after the book of Luke. And this is 2,000 years. And this is the, these are the years that we're in, right? And this, and this is going all the way through to this fourth point, which is life after death, heaven. That's the other main thing. All of life has to have a root in there's something after we die. Otherwise, what's the point? Otherwise, you might as well commit suicide. You might as well live however you want. You know what I'm saying? This is crucial. That because of those things happening, because of that, then I live different. The Holy Spirit is big time here at this point, And that's the church age where we're living. The Holy Spirit is totally at work, resting on everybody, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And anyway, and then it gets to this point until Jesus comes back for us and we usher into eternity and the second, our long-term life. That's after all this and makes this look really short. So those are the four main things, okay? So anyway, this thing that um, the, all the prophecies that were fulfilled in here, uh, you know, that, that we already talked about were crucial. And Mary, she was engaged, but she in that day, as many of you know, um, they would, it was kind of like arranged marriage. And then you were like engaged, but it was like a business contractual agreement. You would sign on the dotted line and if, and you're figuring out your dowry and there's all money involved and houses and all this kind of stuff. And so you have everything when you're engaged, which is the status of Mary and Joseph, except you haven't actually had the exact actual wedding ceremony. You haven't lived together and you haven't uh, moved in together. Now, how many know if Mary had had that happen and was living with Joseph, stuff like what happened how many of you believe that jesus would have been born immaculate conception exactly nobody that lives together that has sexual attraction of any kind can usually live together without having sexual interaction. So the fact that she wasn't living with Joseph, she was still living with her family, that was a really big deal because that like reinforced, okay, about the whole um, virgin birth and that sort of thing. We had a friend in high school that went to our church and she got pregnant and she was like very um, adamant and very strong that she had not had sex with her boyfriend and she didn't know how she had ended up getting pregnant when she had never had sex. And so this is like what we all thought, you know, this chick is nuts. There is no way, you know what I'm saying? Either she just hasn't had human um, reproductive class in seventh grade or, or she's a little, you know, French fry short. Um, but anyway, um, and I was, I finally said to her, I'm like, Amy, if your son gets crucified 
raised from the dead and ascends into heaven, then I will believe that you had an immaculate conception. Other than that, sorry, I don't believe you. But um, anyway, the fact that it was both the natural and supernatural is what was so cool about it. Because, because she did have the natural component, but she did have the supernatural component of that. So anyway, so Jesus' proof of, of the fact that he really was a son of God didn't happen until 33 years later. And the whole time, Jesus is not living the life that everybody is expecting will fulfill those prophecies. They think uh, what's all been foretold in their interpretation of all those prophecies is that the um, Messiah is going to look like Prince George. Okay. And he's going to have knee socks that stay above his calves, no matter what he does, you know, and, and they think that Jesus is going to be like that. And so really this whole time, this whole time, he was never understood to be the son of God until the very end, except for a few people like Peter and that sort of thing. So you can imagine what she carried on with her life. So anyway, so, uh, I have a question. If Mary wasn't turned into a saint and she wasn't changed, um, in how nice she was or how thin she was, she wasn't made prettier or smarter or more disciplined. She didn't change occupations. She, she didn't have all of her doubts removed about every single thing in the Bible. She didn't have a complete understanding of every single prophecy in the Old Testament. The 444 prophecies that, that, um, talked about the, the Messiahs, whatever. She was only 12 years old. She didn't, it wasn't even possible for her to have learned all of those prophecies, let alone understood and believed them. And I have a question. If the Holy Spirit overshadows you, what does that look like? What do we think it looks like? If the Holy Spirit overshadows you, do you think that you are still going to be, are you going, how are you going to be different or how are you going to be the same? What do you think? What does that look like? Nia-chan. Okay, Nia-chan, if the Holy Spirit overshadows you, Nia-chan is still Nia-chan, okay? Everything about Nia-chan is the same. She looks the same. She has the same personality. She, she does things in a similar way. She probably still likes the same thing. She probably dislikes the same things. But the Holy Spirit overshadowing you then has a natural and a supernatural component. Maybe the Holy Spirit overshadowing you is giving you direction about something you're supposed to do in your life. And the natural component is you're supposed to get on the computer and you fill out the application and you uh, find a good outfit that's on sale at Express that you're going to wear and this sort of a thing, right? So that's the natural component. The supernatural component is the Holy Spirit making the way somehow without her power that's not based on man's efforts, paving the way. Her natural thing that she's doing is she's being herself. She applied online and she, you know, got an outfit for the interview and then she goes and the Holy Spirit then has overshadowed her the entire way. That's what it looks like. You are still you. I think there are many people in here that actually have the Holy Spirit overshadowing them that don't even realize it. 
because because you are expecting the Holy Spirit overshadowing in your life to make you look, act, and think completely different. We, we um, mistake that for the process of salvation in our life, where God transforms us into a new and person, different person. He makes our heart like from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and there's this supernatural, complete change transaction. But when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, she was overshadowed, but she was still Mary. And the other thing about it is that she was overshadowed and she hung on to that for the entire course of Jesus's life. Some of you have had the Holy Spirit overshadow you and then you made it to about here, about here. But Jesus still is illegitimate. I'm getting hate from my neighbors, you know. Jesus is misbehaving and gets lost at the temple and it's very irritating, you know, all this kind of stuff. And they forget God's promise to overshadow them, to carry them through whatever the supernatural and the natural needs to take place in order for the Holy Spirit to overshadow you. What is your role in this time in the church age where we are and the Holy Spirit is in operation? What if... The Holy Spirit is flowing in here. Theoretically, if you are a believer, every single person here could be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit operating naturally and supernaturally in their lives. Some of you are are critics. I don't mean that in a negative way of even these four primary planks of Christian theology. And you need the Holy Spirit to overshadow your mind, the Holy Spirit to overshadow you to embrace and believe something that is something you normally typically couldn't do because you can't reconcile it. Some of you are unbelievers, Chris, you can come. Some of you are unbelievers and you have can't believe or don't believe in the salvation of God, but the Holy Spirit can overshadow you to make clear, make believe, give you faith, and change and transform your life. You know, I had this time, you probably aren't going to believe this, but I am actually, don't laugh, okay? I am actually an extremely strong introvert. If I take any personality test at all, I am almost as high as you can get as an introvert. After Walt became the pastor, you guys can just start playing. After Walt became the pastor, there was this day that I woke up in the middle of the night on a, um, on a Saturday night, Saturday to Sunday that night, and God spoke to me and he said, this is, this is, uh, he just said, boom, 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 boom. There are five points. Boom, 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 boom. I got up, I went to my journal, moleskin notebook, and I just wrote da, 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 the five points. Went back to bed, went back to sleep. When I got up in the morning, I told Walt, God woke me up in the middle of the night and gave me these points. I think I maybe need to share them in church today. He was like, okay. It's, it was a little longer conversation, but that's basically what it was. That Sunday, I got up with a moleskin notebook and five points and nothing other than the Holy Spirit overshadowing me. And I preached that message and God's spirit, not because of me, but God's spirit poured out on the house that day. 
ever since that time, I have felt God's grace, uh, basically, when I speak. And I'm not saying it's a natural thing at all. I'm saying it's a situation where I have submitted to the Holy Spirit overshadowing me. And this is the result. Now it's probably, I don't know, maybe in the neighborhood of five to seven years ago, something like that. And that's been, and this is what I'm doing now. I'm walking in that. I'm walking in the promise of the Holy Spirit overshadowing me. Now, natural, supernatural. I still have to get up and talk. I still have to open my mouth. I still have to figure out some notes and try to come up with an idea. But when the Holy Spirit overshadows me, the supernatural part is when it comes out and people's hearts are stirred by the Holy Spirit and are moved to to real transformation. And that's why, right? And this morning, even with me having my notes and um, not, I said to Walt, when we were walking into church this morning, I said, I feel very anxious about this message. I said, I do not feel good about it. I just feel very unsettled. And he, you know, of course was like, whatever. And then when I got up in the first service, he didn't say whatever. He was trying to reassure me. It didn't work. Okay. Um, anyway, (laughs) anyway, when I came up in the first service, I don't think I went past my first page of notes. The Holy Spirit overshadowed me. And I I sure hope you aren't taking this like I'm bragging in any way. I'm just trying to use my own life as an illustration of how I tried to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit overshadowing me. And I have a bunch of other ones in my notes that I don't have time to talk about. But I have a question. I want you to be thinking right now. When is a time that the Holy Spirit has overshadowed me? Not that you had goosebumps or whatever, but you felt something else resting on you, giving you a thought or an idea or like something was going to happen or his power is going to go before you. Everybody in this room, I believe, either has had a time like that that maybe you've forgotten or is going to have a time like that. You know why? Because we're in the church age and God needs every single one of us to have the Holy Spirit overshadowing us so we can be moving his kingdom forward to this point right here. And he needs every single person in this congregation to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, doing what they naturally do with their personality, with their gifts, their talents, what they look like, fat, thin, rich, poor, skin color, language you speak, whatever. He needs all of that to be overshadowed so that his Holy Spirit can do the supernatural through you, which is who knows what, talking to a person, getting a position, going to the mission field, becoming a pastor, becoming a janitor. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And then you begin to walk in the truth of that revelation in your life. And you don't forget it after 60 seconds. You go back. Like I say, I know that God's presence overshadows me and I'm going to stick with that. It's like Mary getting anxious was like me walking into church this morning. Mary getting anxious, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She just keeps going through. She keeps raising her kid. She does the best thing, job she can being a good mother. Maybe you need God's spirit to overshadow you for raising your kid. Maybe you have a really, really challenging child that's going to really amount to something. Maybe you're going to do something that you never thought you could do. I don't know. Maybe it's the who the person, who you are as a person. Let's just all stand if you would.
We're going to sing a song and then I'm going to lead us. Well, let, let's just everybody raise your hands and just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to overshadow you. If you're unsaved, it doesn't matter. Say, Holy Spirit, overshadow me and help me believe. Help me believe that you can forgive my sins. Holy Spirit, help me to believe my unbelief about creation or whatever that I'm the thinker. Overshadowing for ministry. Ask him to overshadow you again for you to sense his overshadowing power in your life. 